the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 7. Let's remember as we hear this that this is God's Word. This is inspired by God. It's Jesus at the Feast of Booths. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. And you're angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? 
And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from. But I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. In him you do not know. I know him, for I come to him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those whom believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Does not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word and we trust it. We believe it. And we pray that you would now, um, like we just, like we just sang, we, that you would take these truths and you'd plant them deep in us and that you would use them to make us like you. We pray that you would work in power. We recognize that you are the one with the power. That you are the one with the power in inspiring these words. That you are the one, Holy Spirit, who has the power to make alive. And so we pray that you would work in the preaching of the word now. And bring yourself glory. And bring clarity to us about who Jesus is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes the new year begins and um, some people decide that it's the right time to go to church. And I've been praying that that sort of thing might happen here. I've been praying that it might happen here in January. It might happen throughout the year. And so if you're here, this is the first time you've been in church in a while or you're worshiping online with us and this is the first time you've participated in that way in a while, I'm so glad that you're here, either virtually or in person. I hope that, you know, if this is the first time you're here, that you'll stick around so we have a chance to get to know you a little bit better. This congregation is just filled with wonderful people that would love to get to know you a little bit better. 
Maybe you're here and either you're visiting or you've been here for a long time, but you have the same sort of thing that's going on inside your own heart or your own mind, and it's uncertainty, uncertainty about who Jesus is. Maybe you've been in church for your whole life, but certain situations have arisen that have sort of knocked you back a little bit, and you're wondering what it is and who this Jesus might be. Or maybe you're just starting to, uh, you know, come to church for the first time and you're like, you know, I've heard about Jesus, you know, in a whole host of different places, but I'm just not sure who he is. If there's any kind of uncertainty that's in your heart and your mind about who Jesus is, this is the right passage for you because in John chapter seven, there's a ton of uncertainty about Jesus. And whenever I read the Bible, I actually am so encouraged by sections of the Bible like this one right here. Do you know that in ancient texts, when there were people who claimed to be a religious leader or a messiah, in the religious texts that were written about them or by them, the crowds were always 100% behind this teacher. There was always never any doubt about who this teacher was. There was no opposition. Everyone saw and immediately sort of fell in line. And yet the gospels give to us a very honest account of the life of Jesus. Not everyone believes. In fact, there's a ton of uncertainty. And that is in the text here today. There's uncertainty and there's opposition. And as Jesus talks about his own authority, it's not a flashy authority, but it's real. There's sort of two parts of the text here. The first one is verses one through 13, where we see a lot of that uncertainty. And the rest is this series of cycles where Jesus teaches and there's opposition and they try to arrest him. The first part I'll call uncertainty because I'm going to talk about some of the uncertainty there. The second part I'll talk about authority because as we talk about those two cycles, we're going to be talking specifically about who Jesus is and why it is that this text tells us that we should believe in him because he alone is the one who can refresh, heal, and save you. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right away in John chapter 7, the passage begins and there is a lot of uncertainty. We're told in the text that not even Jesus' family believed in him and his brothers seem to be jealous about the attention that he's getting or they seem to be mocking him. At the end of John chapter 6, which we, uh, which we read last time we were together talking about John, which means like, I don't know, like November 20 or something like that. Last time we were in the Gospel of John, we read John chapter 6, and at the very end of it, because the teaching of Jesus was a hard teaching, the 5,000 people who had been following him, all of them left except for the 12. And so at the very beginning of John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers are like, hey, there's a big gathering of people in Jerusalem. Why don't you go try to rebuild your disciples up? Everybody's left you, but there's going to be a ton of people in Jerusalem. Why don't you go do major signs so that the world sees you and can start following you? They don't believe in him. They're mocking him. Hey, why don't you go get a crowd again? They want Jesus to show himself to the world. They use that language, show yourself to the world to the very group that cannot receive him. 
And then Jesus talks about time with his brothers. For them, they can go to this feast at any time because their agenda is set by the world. But for the Lord, Jesus, his time is directed by God. And so he will not go to the feast of booths until later. And he will not go until he goes in a matter dictated by the Lord, not by his brothers. By verse 10, the father has made it clear to Jesus that it is the appropriate time for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. It will be the last time that Jesus goes to the city of Jerusalem until he returns to die and rise again. And he goes not in the way that his brothers tell him to go, to show himself to the world, to gain followers. Jesus goes secretly. And we're given a mind, we're given a look into the mind and the conversation of the crowd. The ministry of Jesus was making such an impact that he was the topic of conversation for a number of people who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. And everybody seems to have a different opinion about who this Jesus is. We're given a few of them right at the top here. Some of them say, you know, he's a good man. Some of them say he's a snake oil salesman. Some of them say that he's just misleading and deceiving the people. There's a great deal of uncertainty. And again, a testament to the Bible's accuracy. That it doesn't shy away from the fact that his brothers, the crowd, and the religiously most astute are either uncertain or opposed to him here in John chapter 7. And recognizing that that's the case, my hope and prayer is that as you see John kind of opens up who Jesus is for us, that it's also telling us true things about Jesus because Jesus begins to demonstrate his authority. In verse 14 to the end of the chapter, there are two cycles. There's cycle one and then cycle two. The same things happen in each one. Three things happen in each cycle. Jesus will teach and instruct the people. And then there's a great deal of argument about who Jesus is on the, on the behalf of the people, on the part of the people. And then at the end, the religious leaders try to arrest him. It's going to happen once, and then it will happen again. And let's take a look at these two cycles together. Jesus teaches verses 15 to 27, and then he'll do it again in 37 to 29. And the people are still caught up in the fact that in John chapter 5, Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath. As Jesus talks, the composition of his argument is the same as when he argues in John chapter 5. He talks about how he has not come to bring glory to himself, but to give glory to the Father. That his authority doesn't come from himself, but that it comes from the Father. And then he drills down to that Sabbath criticism that they continue to level against him. He talks about circumcision and the fact that the law, in order for the law to be kept, priests would still do the work of circumcision on the Sabbath. And he says, if you can cut a portion of the body off on Sabbath, why is it wrong for me to restore the body on the Sabbath? And the people are divided. Some are critical. And what's interesting is all throughout John chapter 7, the criticism comes from the fact that the crowd and the leaders don't think Jesus has the right credentials. They don't think that he came from the right place. They don't believe that he went to the right school. He doesn't have the approval of the appropriate people. He can't be someone who's important. And that's what's argued first in this first cycle by the crowd. But then there's a group that are like, yeah, but when the Messiah comes, is he going to do more work than Jesus? Indicating that within this uncertainty, there's a group that is seeing and judging with right judgment about who Jesus is. The Pharisees are upset and they're earthly minded. Jesus is telling them that he's going to go to a place where they can't follow him and 
He's talking about the fact that he's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise again from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And they're like, he probably means he's going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to go to those dirty, dirty Greeks and just talk to them instead of us. He should be staying here, not going to the Greeks. Much worse than leaving Chicago for Boston is leaving Israel to talk to the Greeks. They're upset about it. So they decide they're going to arrest him. But they're unsuccessful. Which takes us to the second cycle where Jesus teaches again and the people disagree again and the leaders try to arrest again. In the second teaching, Jesus ratchets up the intensity. The teaching is briefer, but even more direct and freighted with meaning. It's recorded for us in John chapter 7, verses 37, 38, and 39. We're told on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We've already been told that he's going to the Feast of Booths. But what's unique about this feast is that there were two aspects that would take place in the course of this feast that set it apart. It's why it was love. There was one water ritual and one light ritual. Jesus will talk about how he's the light of the world in the next chapter. In this one, he's going to focus on water. Specifically, as the Feast of Booths was coming to an end, D.A. Carson reports that there was a very specific series of events that would happen on this last day, this great day of the feast. A golden jar would be filled with water from the pool of Siloam, and it was carried in a long procession that was led by the high priest himself back to the temple in Jerusalem. As the procession approached the water gate on the south side of the inner courts, there were three blasts from a shofar, which was a trumpet that was used in times of celebration. Those trumpet blasts were sounded, and then as the pilgrims watched, all of the priests of the people of Israel would together surround the altar that was in the center of the temple. While this was taking place, the choir, the temple choir, sang a hallelujah from Psalm 113 to 118. And when the choir reached Psalm 18, every male pilgrim shook what was called a luav, a willow and myrtle twig tied with a palm. He would shake it in his right hand and then raise a citrus fruit in his left hand, which symbolized the fact that the harvest had come in. The Feast of Booths was a harvest festival. And all together in one voice, they would cry out, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. And then from the golden jug, the water would be poured into separate silver bowls. And all at once, that water would be poured out before the Lord. The ceremony was a provi- uh, to remind the people of the Lord's provision of water in the desert and the fact that the Lord would pour out the Holy Spirit in the last days. And in the context of all of that going on, the water being poured out from the heart of the temple, Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, if anyone really needs water, well, he should come to me. He should come to me and drink. For the people, this would have been an absolutely audacious statement. You want water? Come to me and drink. There's water being poured out in the temple. Don't go there. Come to me. Don't go to the altar. Don't go to the high priest. Come to me. If you want water, come to me and drink. Many years before this, Isaiah had prophesied. This prophecy was taken up in this festival of booths. Isaiah had said, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
Jesus is saying that the fulfillment of this feast, this festival of booths, of tabernacles, that the fulfillment of the promise of God given through Isaiah are found in him. Jesus is saying, are you thirsty for the water that this ceremony is pouring out? Do you need to be refreshed? Come and drink all that God has promised through his festivals and through his prophets, all that God has promised Jesus provides. Come and drink. You know, we're in a parched world. We're in a world that needs to be refreshed. You might be here this morning feeling like you're approaching empty for a whole host of different reasons. It may be that there is a great deal of conflict in your life. It may be that you've experienced loss or sorrow. It may just be that you haven't slept in about two weeks because you had a lovely little girl that was born and keeping you up. It may be that you're approaching the point of exhaustion. It may be that you don't even feel all that exhausted. You've driven yourself to distraction. But let me tell you that you need a drink of living water, of what Jesus and Jesus alone provides. Some of us have been searching for refreshment from what this world says will refresh you, love or money or sleep or success or vacations or a stricter routine or the right politicians or a vegan diet or a paleo diet or a better job or a break from your work or better parenting techniques or people respecting you, any one of these things might be fine in and of themselves. They might be refreshing for a period of time. None of them is ultimate. None of them offers what Jesus offers when he gives you this simple command, come and drink. There are billions and billions that are spent in advertising to convince you that you simply need the refreshment of better skin or a bigger portfolio or just Coca-Cola. When Jesus tells you how simple it is, you need some water. And it's me, says Jesus. It's me. You need the water that Jesus provides. You need to believe in Jesus and experience what the hymn tells us about. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. You need to believe in Jesus. And you need to see that Jesus will quench your thirst. Sometimes we can chase after things which might be neutral, but don't quench an ultimate thirst. Sometimes we can, in fact, because we recognize our own need, pursue the exact opposite of the Lord Jesus in order to quench our thirst. But sometimes if you are chasing after anything apart from Jesus or anything opposed to Jesus, it's like trying to quench your thirst by drinking sand. It will not work. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Come to Jesus and drink. Jesus saying this ignites another furious debate about who he is. The crowd is still uncertain and so much of the debate about who he is, again, centers on his credentials. He's not from the right side of the track, say the people, and when the Pharisees try to arrest him again and the people that they send to do their dirty work don't do the arresting because they say no one's ever talked like this man talks, they say no one who is anyone believes in him. How are you being deceived by all of him? Here's the reality right now, is that if you are somebody that's seeking to trust Jesus and follow after him, sometimes the response to that will be scoffing or mockery because you're not trusting the approved sources by any number of elites. Oh, Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Well, you must just be weak. You must need a crutch then if you want to come to Jesus. Yeah, guilty. That's me. I can't make it on my own. I need him to carry me. 
Well, it must just be because you don't have the, the smarts then to make it on your own. You're not listening to the right sorts of cultural or political or scientific consensuses. Well, you know what? I, I need Jesus. And all of the powers of the world are always going to try to find ways to diminish his credentials and to tell you that there's something else that's more important or more central or more fundamental. Don't listen to it. It's the way of the powerful to try to draw you away from following after the humble carpenter's son who will carry a cross for you. It's not anything flashy. Those aren't credentials that the world will say, see and be like, yeah, 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 that's right. A cross, a criminal's death, a birth in a manger, none of that. He has no beauty or majesty that we would be attracted to him, nothing within himself that we should desire him. And Nicodemus, you know, who we met in John chapter 3, I think this is actually pretty awesome. Nicodemus, who's met with Jesus and it seems like is experiencing some of the transformation of the new birth, actually stands up to the Pharisees. Nicodemus is a part of the Pharisees. And he says, all right, so you've been accusing the people of not following the law. Doesn't our law say that you can't judge someone without first giving them a hearing? And then the Pharisees go after Nicodemus for credentials. Oh, you're probably from Galilee too then. Oh, look at you, a Galilean, just like Jesus. It's probably just, a, just an affinity because you came from the same dumb place, mocking, because you don't have the right credentials. Despite the testimony of Jesus, some people are still uncertain in John chapter 7. There's a whole host of people who are not convinced that he is who he claims to be. They're not convinced that they need the water that only he can provide. They're not convinced that they need him. You might still be uncertain too. So let me just say, you can't be refreshed. You can't be restored by continuing to drink sand. You need the water of eternal life. You need Jesus. We need to come to Jesus and drink. What does that mean? You might wonder. Well, it means what's been the consistent theme throughout throughout John. It means we need to believe in him. We need to trust him. We need to give ourselves to him. We need to recognize that he's enough. We need to come to Jesus and drink. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.